My friends, the baby did not come to create a shopping season. It came to turn the world upside down. Or as I like to say, right side back up. And Christmas is the first step in God's plan to make all of this real. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Scripture reading this morning comes from two sections of the Scriptures, and the first is Isaiah chapter 9, and we're reading together verses 2 through 7, and you'll find it on page 1072 of the Church Bible. Page 1072, Isaiah chapter 9, reading verses 2 through 7. And then we'll turn over to the New Testament section of Matthew chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 9 is that well-known passage entitled, A Child is Born, beginning at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And turn over to Matthew chapter 2 as we read verses 13 to 18. Most of you will be familiar with Matthew's infancy narrative where they focus on the birth of Christ and the visit of the Magi. And so we come now to the escape to Egypt. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 18, page 1498. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I will call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted 
because they are no more. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us these readings from His Holy Word. Thank you, Pastor Richard, for reading the sermon text for me uh, this morning. A lot of you know that very recently I was in Egypt for a few days. About uh, two weeks ago or so, I was in Cairo for a for about 10 days. What many of you don't know is that I was there on a secret mission. Not uh, the CIA or uh, the NSA, uh, but actually a, a secret mission commissioned by my wife. You see, my wife uh, loves to collect nativity scenes from all around the world. And we have in our house during the Christmas season nativity scenes that she and I have picked up along the way from places like Bethlehem and Peru and Dominican Republic and these kinds of things. So you can imagine what my mission was when I went to Egypt. It, of course, was to find another nativity scene. Problem was, you can't find one of these things anywhere. No nativity scenes. But what you do find quite frequently, especially in the Christian areas of Cairo, uh, is something else. You'll find depictions of this. The escape of the Holy Family into Egypt. Now, this is uh, written on papyrus, which is a very popular form of artwork down there. You'll see this kind of thing. Uh, this is a big deal for them. Thinking about it, Egypt is mentioned uh, in the New Testament in Matthew's account of uh, the birth of Jesus and this kinds of things. And so you'll find this kind of stuff. If you look very closely, you'll even see uh, the pyramids up here in the left-hand corner, which I think is kind of a nice touch, don't you think? Kind of neat to kind of add into that. Anyway, over the years, uh, the Egyptian Christians, the big church there is called the Orthodox Coptic Church, uh, they picked up legends about what the Holy Family did while they were in Egypt. So, for example, you can go to a church in the old Christian quarter there in Cairo, and you can see a spot, the spot where supposedly Mary, Joseph, and Jesus stopped for a drink of water. And there's a whole church built around that from like the 3rd or 4th century or something like that. If you go a little further, uh, there's another church, another spot that commemorates where Mary gave the baby Jesus a bath. Yeah, and as you tool around Egypt, uh, you'll see a number of these things like this. Uh, Folks, these are wonderful stories, but completely legendary. They're cute and they're sentimental, but absolutely extra-biblical. Friend, there's nothing cute and sentimental about the text from Matthew that Pastor Richard read for us just a moment ago. But it's what the Bible actually says about that first Christmas season. Every time, every year, it always seems to happen somehow, some way to me. Close to the beginning of December 1, I start to anticipate how Christ-filled our world is going to be all around us. And I think in my mind that every place I go and every place I turn, there'll be something about Jesus somewhere. Nativity scenes, bright stars, angelic choruses depicting the first Christmas night, everywhere around me. But then something happens. Something happens that reminds me that the world really seems to have lost, to some degree, what some folks call the reason for the season. Now this year, believe it or not, this 
stopping in my tracks occurred in Egypt. There I was, shopping in something akin to a Walmart in Cairo, and I turned around, and what did I see but a life-size Santa Claus, complete with red outfit and a beard. So I'm thinking, yeah, this is a Muslim-majority country, uh, but maybe I'll see something, maybe in the decoration bins around Santa. There were all these bins about Yesu High, and you could go jumping in there to find out trinkets and learn about other things. Well, I sifted through that stuff uh, for just a little while, thinking maybe there's at least a star. There's just a star in there. No luck. I looked in the boxes around Santa, and all I found were tinsel and snowflakes. My friends, this is the desert. It rains two days a year for a half hour. Snowflakes? Hmm. But okay, this is Egypt. I've got that. And I don't have a problem with Santa Claus, by the way. He's cool. In fact, in a couple of weeks, uh, at an undisclosed location, I'm going to put on a red suit and um, play an elf. I'll be the biggest, jolliest elf you've ever seen in your life. Did I escape disaster there? Good. Very good. Anyway, even though it was Egypt, I was still let down. Another Christless Christmas. I sighed and I walked out thinking that, that maybe our world is still a very far cry from what Isaiah saw so many years ago when God showed him a day when a child would be born, a son would be given, whose authority would grow continuously such that through him there would be endless peace righteousness and justice. Friends, you and I living here in Western culture, we have a problem. We're confused. You see, our culture has purposely conflated for economic reasons a holy day called Christmas with a consumer's season that goes by the same name. In fact, there's been so much confusion out there about this very thing. Some have even proposed that we need to give the season that we're about to enter, in fact, we've already entered it, a new name that is more honest and reflective of what's it all about. Instead of calling it Christmas, we should call it Consumus. Christmas and Consumus don't even occupy the same period, although it's not appearance because they do overlap for the most part. Christmas is a part of the church calendar that begins the first Sunday in Advent. That's today. And it ends only 12 days after Christmas in a season that's called Epiphany. If you're from Pickens County, that's pronounced Epiphany, right? Okay, so I've been anyway. So the waiting that precedes December 25th and the celebration that continues after it are all essential parts of the holy season. The commercial holiday, on the other hand, officially begins with the mad shopping spree that begins when? Black Friday, just a few days ago, right? Many stores open early so consumers can spend more time spending more what? Money, which they do. It's the biggest shopping day of the year with almost sacred significance in U.S. culture. The whole meaning of consumers that is commercial Christmas, is to sell us stuff. And by that measure, we have to say that it is a tremendously successful holiday. 
About 15 years ago, Your Money magazine estimated that Americans charged an average of $3 million a minute between Thanksgiving and Christmas. That was 15 years ago. I have no idea what the figure would be now. The Wall Street Journal once described the day after Christmas in hangover-like terms with a headline that read, The Morning After a Few Gifts Too Many. Friends, there are a lot of competing and powerful voices out there calling us to make Christmas what it would have it be. So the question for us is, as followers of Christ, how can you and I celebrate Christmas instead of consume us? Now, my sense is this is not going to be easy because, again, there are a lot of powerful voices out there speaking to us just about every waking minute trying to tell us what this time of year is all about. But I do have a few thoughts I would like to share with you this morning, and I would like to pass these on to you for your thoughtful consideration. So the first step is this. Recognize that commercial Christmas is a non-Christian and even at times anti-Christian celebration. That's why they call it consume us. It's a good name, I think. It consumes us, or at least our wallets anyway. So here's the thing. Buying or making a few gifts from the heart is a better way to share the holy season of Christmas with those we love. The key is to keep it simple and meaningful. Think of several friends or family members right now. And let me ask you, do you remember what they gave you last year for Christmas? Some of the men have that deer in the headlight looks right now. I know. Let me ask you this. Do you think they remember what you gave them? Instead of getting wrapped into all this, we can try to find thoughtful gifts instead of hyped up ones. Fifteen years ago, my mother decided to do something new. Instead of going out and buying more stuff for people in a family that already has enough stuff, she made a donation in each of our names to a Christian charity. And then she gave each of them an acknowledgement receipt from the agency with their name on it. It's been 15 years since she did that. Like most men, I suppose, I cannot tell you what she gave me last year. But I remember when my mom gave those gifts. What a great idea for gift giving. All of us can do the same thing through a number of agencies like Samaritan's Purse, World Vision, Compassion International, World Vision. There are lots of these agencies like that. In our bulletins today, the top of the announcement page, there is an announcement from a mission agency called, very top up there, from Medical Benevolence Foundation. This is an organization that our church has supported right up there that our, so our church has supported uh, from its inception decades ago. And this year they are offering an alternative gift idea that sounds something like this. There are Presbyterian hospitals in Africa right now that are fighting the Ebola outbreak. And for $30, you and I can donate enough money to provide uh, protective gear 
that will guard a medical professional for a day and include masks and gar, uh, the, 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 the garments uh, and the gloves and these kinds of things. And there's a place in this announcement at the bottom there where you can go there and find out about that and a lot of other things to do as well. You can go online and make this donation and then have an ish, uh, a receipt issued in the person's name that you're doing that for. That sounds like a pretty good idea to me. Medical benevolence and other agencies, the other ones that I mentioned, they provide basic life necessities in the name of Jesus Christ to people unlike us who actually need things. So try this as a gift-giving idea this year with some of your fans and family. And note how they will remember what you gave in their name for years to come. Secondly, be discerning about what we're watching on television. The weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas Day are prime time for people to watch their favorite Christmas TV specials or movies, movies like Miracle on 34th Street or It's a Wonderful Life. This year, let's pay attention pay as much attention to our media consumption as we do our product consumption. Even TV shows or movies that profess to be about the real meaning of Christmas usually aren't. They might be about things like charity and repentance, forgiveness and reconciliation. And these are all certainly very good Christian virtues. But they're not what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about Jesus Christ whose life, death, and resurrection teach us that God is with us, Emmanuel, and that he loves us and is alive and active in the world. The problem with communicating values instead of Christ is that commercials tend to attach values to products in order to goad us into buying stuff. For example, better to give than to receive. Sounds good. Buy this present. A time for forgiveness? Send a designer gift card. Need to reconcile with an estranged family member? Use our long distance service and we can help you patch things up. The classic problems with your wife? Remember, wise men still bring gold and diamonds. Have you seen that one? Friends, these are the kinds of commercials we're right, likely to see around the Christmas specials that we watch. A few programs do tell us that Christmas is about Christ and consumption is not salvation, most notably the Charlie Brown Christmas story. When shows like this are aired on TV, though, they're usually surrounded and interrupted by commercials. But here's a great thing. You and I can now circumvent this barrage of Christmas commercials by taping the good shows and zapping through the commercials when we watch. This is why God created DirecTV, right? You go, mm, 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 mm. Final thought. Be alert to what we are hearing and don't be beguiled. Years ago when Tracy and I were student pastors in Savannah, Georgia, a couple in the church we were serving down there gave us tickets to the Savannah Orchestra's Christmas concert. So at the end of the night, uh, the senior conductor allowed the junior apprentice conductor to, to lead the final couple of songs in the program. And so at the very conclusion of the program, he turned to all of us who would gather there. He thanked us for coming. And then he told us not to forget 
the real meaning of Christmas. Now, I was a brand new shiny pastor uh, way back then, and I still remember leaning forward in my seat to hear this young fellow maybe, just maybe, share the good news about Christmas to the landed gentry of Savannah, Georgia on that night. But this is what he said. He said, the real meaning of Christmas is a celebration of the human spirit. Now, you all know me. I'm normally a pretty laid-back guy. It's difficult to get me riled up, really. Some would even say that I'm too laid-back at times. But right there in the balcony of the Savannah Civic Auditorium, about halfway up one of the aisles there, I lost it. I threw a fit. My wife had to calm me down. You see, when you and I do not have God and His Son Jesus Christ as the focus of our Christmas, then we'll have to put something else in His place. Or else, how else can you explain all this running around we do during this time of year? And if you do not have God to celebrate, then all you have left are human beings and what human beings do. And that's where the human spirit comes in. But you know, before we sell the human spirit too short, we should note that the human spirit is found in the Christmas account. Do you know where it is? It's in the text that Pastor Richard read for us earlier, Matthew chapter 2. The human spirit is epitomized by Herod when he killed the innocent children in Bethlehem after Jesus was born. My friends, the human spirit crucified Jesus of Nazareth. The human spirit several decades ago pushed Jews into ovens. The human spirit flew airplanes into the Twin Towers in New York City on 9-11. And the story goes on and on and on. Friends, that's the part of the Christmas story that's not too marketable. You can't put a pretty bow on it. You can't use it to sell something because it reminds every one of us that humanity has an immense capacity for self-deception and evil, a capacity that has not changed in over 2,000 years. And it's not just about some rotten dictator or terrorist we read about in the newspapers or hear about on TV. No, it's about every one of us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn once wrote that the line between good and evil runs straight down the center of every single human heart. My friends, Jesus Christ came into the world not to celebrate the human spirit, but to redeem it. And that is what Christmas is all about. But it's even bigger than that. Listen again to what the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 9. You, God, have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Remember when I said earlier that Isaiah 
look to the first coming of Christ? Well, I really didn't tell the whole picture. The truth of the matter is he foresaw the second coming of Christ as well. Because he saw a day when the authority of Messiah would have no end. The first time Jesus came, it was as a baby. The next time he comes, it will be as a master to the nations. The first time he rode on a donkey, the next time he comes, it will be on a white horse of victory. The first time he stood before Pilate, the next time he comes, you and I and Pilate will stand before him. The first time Jesus came, he was rejected. The day when he comes again, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. At his first advent, he wore a crown of thorns. And what little he wore, well, men played dice just to have a chance at it, but it wasn't worth much. At his second coming, he will wear robes of light and wear diadems of glory. One day, Jesus Christ will make walking on water seem like child's play because on that day, he will step out of eternity into time and walk on the clouds. There will be a rainbow of victory wrapped around his shoulders and the deepest smile of love you have ever seen in your life will be upon his face. And at that moment, all the laws of gravity, time, and space will simultaneously collapse upon one another because on that day, a new heaven and a new earth will be revealed. Glitz will be replaced by holiness. Justice will roll down down with more power than all the rivers of the world and righteousness will never, ever be mocked. Death and crying and brokenness and pain will be no more for he will wipe away every tear from our lives because the old things have passed away. My friends, the baby did not come to create a shopping season. He came to turn the world upside down. Or as I like to say, right side back up. And Christmas is the first step in God's plan to make all of this real. When somehow, some way, you and I begin to grasp all of this, even in the midst of the genuine fun and the frivolity of the season, when you and I really begin to understand this, I guarantee you we will have the best Christmas ever, even if just a little in our hearts. Glory to God in the highest. Let's pray together. Holy and awesome God, your love is wider than our vision. Your grace is more wonderful than we can sing. Yet in your providence, you chose to visit us as a child in a manger. You chose to love us as a friend. And you chose to save us as a redeemer. Father, we admit that there is much in us that is not yet ready to receive you this Advent season. Our world is so torn by horrors in distant countries. And there are even tensions on our own streets. Our communities have children hungry in school and people who are hungry for work. Our lives are busy to the point of exhaustion 
And we carry so much worry that it turns our prayer dry and it flattens our joy. God, stop us long enough that we might hear a song in the darkest night, that we might feel your presence in the midst of everyday tasks, and that we might sense the joy and the hope that flows from the strength of your everlasting care. Do this for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Come experience the joy and wonder of the birth of Christ as we worship together Christmas Eve at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville. Service times are 5, 7, and 11 p.m. More details at firstpresgreenville.org. 